If you are saved, if you're clinging on to that hope of salvation, if you're putting faith in that, if you're holding on to the promises that Jesus has given to us through Scripture, He is very interested in your life. He that is down needs fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. Let's humble ourselves to the Lord. Let's submit to what the Lord has called us to do. And let the Lord be the guide of our lives so we personally don't have to fear the fall of our pride. Okay, um, Pastor uh, Mike and also Quincy, they've been covering uh, this concept of community over the last uh, number of weeks. And uh, when you really think about the, the church, that's really what we're talking about is this, this community. It's a different type of community than the community that we would normally think of where we're the part of the community of Quakertown and the community of Pennsburg. It's a community that God instituted for a specific purpose in the world. And uh, those are some of the things we're going to talk about tonight. The specific purpose that we're going to talk about tonight, um, objective-wise, is the church is not for perfect people. It's for people, uh, for those who are broken, hurting, spiritually lost, um, and how to lead them to uh, salvation, build up the body of Christ, and then become kingdom builders. So that's saying a lot in a, in a, in a short sentence. So, when we think about the church in a broader sense, what is the purpose of the church? Well, the purpose of the church is for worship. And a lot of people, well, why do you guys worship? What's that worship all about? And really look at the word worship. It means worthy. Who's worthy? God is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our gratitude. Why? Because we're just tremendously thankful for all the things that he's given us. What has he given us? He gives us our health, our life, our family, everything that we enjoy, our food, all the things that we love, our pets, you know, where we live. This is what God gives us. And more importantly than all the things I've just mentioned, he also gives us the opportunity for salvation. That means we can have all our sins paid for, past, present, and future, and we can spend eternity in Him. So those are the things that we're grateful for. And those are the things we want to praise Him for. We just want to say, thank you. You're awesome for what you've done. And I, I, we appreciate it and we want to worship you. So that's worship. The second concept is fellowship. Fellowship is being able to get together and uh, carry each other's burdens. And do the work of the church. Work together And it really becomes a broader family. We have our families that we come from. So you have your mom, your dad, maybe sisters, brothers, that type of thing. And these people will support you. If the next thing you found out is somehow you have this illness, those are the people, and even your your aunts and your uncles, your your Grammy, your grandpa, those are the ones who are going to be fighting with you through any type of major challenge that you have in your life. Well, the awesome thing about the church is the church is also that entity that can be your your broader family or bigger family. They can fight by your side when things are going on. When somebody in the church is under duress, whatever it may be, it could be a good thing they had a baby. Or maybe it's they're, they're ill. The first thing you're going to see go out in the emails is Mari's looking for people to drop off meals to these people's houses. Why? This is your family. These are the people who want to support you in the challenges and the good things that you have in your life. Another is discipleship. What's discipleship? Discipleship is that, hey, 
We all want everybody in this room to receive Christ as our Savior. Once we receive Christ as our Savior, now what? Well, the next now what is how do I grow in my understanding of biblical concepts? How do I grow in my understanding of Christ? How do I grow in my understanding of God? How do I just grow in my appreciation for everything that he's, he's done for me? And that comes through discipleship. And God's word says the following. It says in Romans ten seventeen. it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what does that mean? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the Word of God. The Word of God is described in something that's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it goes to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. The, the Word of God is tremendously powerful. It's not a joking matter. It brings un- people under conviction. It's it Also, God gives us our conscience. So these are all the things. We want to learn as much about God's Word as we possibly can. We want to memorize it as much as we possibly can. And we want to study it as much as we possibly can. Because what the Bible teaches us is this. The more we get exposed to God's word, the more Christ-like I have the ability to come become. So God's word enables me to be sanctified is really the word. Or another way of saying it is Christ-like. So when you tuck God's word into your heart and you tuck it into your mind and you just tuck it into your very being, we really start to get a hyper-conscious conscience. Meaning we start to really understand right from wrong. Understanding right from wrong gives us great direction in our lives. And ministry is the next. That's where we have the opportunity to serve other people. And the last one is mission. Mission, what is the church's mission? The church's mission is that... We have something awesome. We have the guarantee of eternal salvation. We can have confidence when we pass away someday, we don't have to fear death. You know what the average person out there is dreading? They're dreading the fact that someday I'm going to die. And I have no idea what's going to happen to me. And I'm afraid because I don't know what the unknown brings to me. And they are haunted by these thoughts every day. They might suppress them. I call it being the ostrich. They stick their head in the sand and hope and pray this death thing will go away. They lead their lives as if it's never going to happen to me. Death is something that happens to other people. It's not going to be me. But the reality of the matter is, when they have those quiet moments, what happens is they understand that, no, I am included in that. The next time they have a relative gets ill or passes away, it brings us to the forefront of their mind, and they have fear. And we have the answer to that. God has the answer to that. He has salvation, which is an awesome thing. So that's our mission. So let's get into the verses. I gave you guys a little packet of verses today. So let's read the first one together. Let me get a sip of water here. This is Matthew 9, 1 through 12. If you look at your sheet, it's on the front page. I encourage you to read along. Why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you hear somebody speak God's word, that's one thing. If you hear somebody speak God's word and you're reading at the same time, you get double impact. 
And as far as I'm concerned, I want the most amount of impact with God's word in my life that I possibly can. So read along, please. Here we go. And getting into the boat, he crossed over and came uh, uh, into his own city. And behold, some people uh, brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or or say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your, your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and glorified God. Who had given such authority to men? Continuing on in number nine. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of physician, but those are sick. So let's break this down here a little bit and uh, talk about it. So when we look at the, this, these verses here, we have a, a few people. We have the paralyzed man. We have the tax collector. We have the Pharisees. And we also have the crowd. So when we take a look at this, who are we in the picture? Am I the paralytic? Is that, do I need assistance? Am I hurting? Do I have hurts that I'm having a hard time managing? Is it physical hurts or is it emotional hurts? God cares about both. And God wants to heal both. So the church is designed for those who are hurting just spiritually or emotionally, but he's also here for those who are hurting physically, who have physical diseases. Am I that person? The next is the tax collector. If you take a look at who the tax collectors were at that time, they were actually very despised people. Most people are not really happy about paying taxes today, but they super despised the tax collectors at that time. Why? These are Jewish people who were collecting taxes for the Roman government. So you had the uh, you had these... These, these people who are seemingly betraying their own people and collecting taxes you know, for the Roman government. And many times these tax collectors wouldn't just collect the amount that was required, they'd take some extra for themselves. So they're known to be thieves. So this is somebody who's just we would consider to be a sinner, who has sinful motives. That's the tax collector. Is that me? The next one is the Pharisee. Who's the Pharisee? Well, the Pharisees at the time were people who were devout Jews. And these Pharisees were as religious as you, religious could be. But they, they lost their ability to be humble. They thought they were great. I'm a great religious person. That would be like somebody you'd come up and meet and say, Hey, I'm a great Christian. Why? I just do so many things for the church. I'm a great Christian. And God doesn't ever want us to take credit for our Christianity or take credit or act in this way. They were very legalistic. You had to do all these things by all these rules. If you didn't do that, well, guess what? You're not good then. You're not as good as I am. God wants us to have a humble heart when we're a Christian. What does that mean? We want to be empathetic 
What does empathetic mean? Empathetic means that I understand 100% that girl or guy I go to school with who has not received Christ yet. I understand them. They're exactly like me. Why are they exactly like me? They're exactly like me because they're a sinner just like me. What do we mean by sin? Does that mean like I made a mistake? What is sin? Does that mean, what, what is it? Some people are like, oh, I made a mistake. I'll tell you what, making a, a, a mistake is something you do on a math test. That's a mistake. Sin is a direct offense to God. How do we know that? We look at a verse like uh, Romans 6.23. It says, the wages of sin is death. Who said this? God said this. What is he speaking about? The wages of sin is death. What do we mean by that? The reason why we know that we're going to physically die is because of the fact we have sinned. God gave us a promise in the, the uh, Garden of Eden, for those who sin, we're guaranteed death. The physical death we have is payment. Payment for our sin is physical death. That's how we know that we've sinned. So sin is serious. So serious that God had to send His only Son to die on the cross to take care of the sin of all those who would place their trust in Him. That's serious. Sin's so serious that there's a place called hell where God sends people who are sinners who have no payment for their sin. That's serious. It's serious stuff. So when we say, hey, you're, you know, somebody else, they're just like me. They're exactly like me. So we have that sense of empatheticness or just mercy or just a sense of, of compassion on those who are around us. You know why? Because they're exactly like us. And I always like to analogize it to this. I put my Jesus parachute on. Why? Because I have a day that I'm going to pass away. And without the Jesus parachute, I have no hope. So when I'm looking at somebody else who has not put their Jesus parachute on, am I going to be looking at them from a vantage point of condescension or looking down at them? Absolutely not. I'm looking at them from a vantage point of, of being compassionate to them. So let's keep moving here. The last one is, is the crowd, somebody out in the crowd. So Jesus just shows us here in this particular verse that he's showing, he's showing that he's calling sinners in the broken. And one thing that um, many of us can do under that Pharisee scenario is simply this. When we come to Sunday worship or we come to Wednesday night, we maybe give the impression to everybody else that's around us, hey, you know what? I've got everything together. I, I got this whole Christian thing together. I got my life together. And, you know, maybe there's times that we do. Maybe there's times that we don't. Or is this the truth about you where... Your Wednesday night self, or your Sunday self, and then the self who shows up in school on during the week is a different self. Or maybe I have my Wednesday night and Sunday self, when I hang out with certain friends, I show up as a different self. And ultimately, what we want to do is we want that real self to be present all the time. Humble. You know, hey, I need Christ. I, I, I need to have Him, you know, forgive my sins. I'm going to show up with my real self 
on Sundays, Wednesday nights, and I'm going to show up with my real self when I'm at school, and I'm going to show up with my real self when I'm with my buddies who like to, you know, do some really corny things. I got to be my real self in, in all, all the different places. One interesting thing, just, you know, continuing on with this, this thought pattern of the Pharisees, Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs. So, we all are familiar with graveyards, you see the gravestones, and sometimes as they get older, they get more worn, and you can look at some of the ones from like the 1800s, depending on what grave, graveyard you go to. And then you have these other types of graves that are at graveyards as well. They're called more crypts. That's like the bigger buildings that you see in certain graveyards. Well, the bigger building ones actually have the bodies placed in the tombs inside those buildings. So what Jesus is saying is what the Pharisees were, he called them whitewashed tombs, meaning that they were filled with dead man's bones, but the outside was shined up and washed up and painted up. So next time you go past one of those graveyards or see one of those above-ground buildings, imagine somebody going there and just painting it really special colors. That's what Jesus is calling the Pharisees. And that's not what we want to do. We don't want to present, hey, I'm the person who's got it all together. You know, we just present our true self. So let's go to our next verse here. Jeremiah 17.9 on your sheet here. It says, the heart is deceitful, excuse me, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick, who can understand it? If you look at the previous verse that we read, it said, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. What kind of sick? Again, we're going back to talking about sin, the sin sick. And then we go to this Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that our heart, all people's hearts are burdened with this thing called sin. And it's a challenge. But ultimately, we can get victory over our sin through time. And that doesn't mean that we become sinless. It just means that we start to get control over our sin. And really the biggest thing that enables us to get control over our sin, you know what it is? It's moving from a sense that I have to obey God, you know, I don't want to, but I have to obey Him, that kind of an attitude toward, you know what, I want to be obedient to Him because I want to please Him, and I want to please Him because I want the best type of fellowship that I ever could experience with God. So that's the thing that's tough about sin just in general, is that... Sin actually interrupts our fellowship with God for a period. So we confess our sins. God, who is faithful and just, will cleanse us from all unrighteousness and restore unto us the joy of salvation. So we go back to God, we repent, which means we confess our sins. Okay, he forgives them again. But ultimately, we're just seeking, why do we want to be it? Because we want to please him. Why do we want to please him? Because we love him. That's our motive. Not like a have to. Your dad tells you to take out the trash. Do I have to? I hate taking out the trash. It stinks. And I get stuff on my fingers when I carry it out. You know, that kind of thing. No, no, I want to do what God's asked me to do because I want to please Him. Why do I want to please Him? Because I love Him. Why do I love Him? Because of everything He's done for me. That's why I love Him. And He loved me first, which enables me to love Him. 
Let's talk about forgiveness of sins. We talked about sin. Let's talk about forgiveness of sins and what God has the capacity to do. So again, let's reverse reverse ourselves back to the big objective. The big objective here is what's the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is for those who are hurting, those who need mercy. They could be physically, emotionally hurting. And the biggest hurt that we want, that the church is designed to do or has the mission to do is to help people come to Christ and receive salvation. That's the big, big thing. And ultimately, when somebody receives Christ, what happens is, is their motives change, the direction of their life changes, the person changes. The Bible tells us that they become a new creation. And if you look at your next verse on your sheet here, so go ahead and pull your sheet out. It says, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What? What does that mean? Let's read that again. And I will give you a new heart. God can give you a new heart. When it's speaking about your heart, is it talking about that four-chambered organ in the middle of your chest? What is it speaking of? It's speaking of that inner portion of your spirit or that inner portion of your soul, that part of your yourself, that, that part of who you are, yourself. When we pass away someday... That entity who is you ultimately will leave your body and will go up to heaven. That's who we're speaking of, that soul entity, that, 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 that portion of your heart. So he'll give you a new heart. What's, what's the difference about this heart? Okay, he'll put a new heart within you, he'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So what does it mean? It gives that, that, that person the ability to have compassion on other people, care about other people, their motives change. What's different about their motives? If you look at the world today, what's wrong with the world? What's going on? Well, so many people are self-centered. What does that mean? They're centered on whatever is good for me, whatever benefits me, that's what I want to do. What's a, a new heart of flesh do for us? A new heart of flesh does this. It gives us the ability to be others-centered, not self-centered. The, 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 the heart without God becomes self-centered. The heart with God becomes other-centered. So it gives us a new heart. That's the heart that we want. The heart that has compassion and mercy and loves other people and enables us to be obedient to God's word. That's what we're looking for. And one of the challenges that can happen in in our lives, just in general, is that... We receive Christ, and then we say, you know what, I'm saved, I don't really need to do anything else, you know, I can just be saved, and I'm just going to do the minimal amount of Christian stuff I have to, I'm going to kind of still be primarily selfish, I know that I received Christ as my Savior, but that's all I'm going to do. So I wrote this next verse in there, which is 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9 through 19 through 20. So if you take a look at your sheet again, please read this with me. It says, Or do you not know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So if you've received Christ as your Savior, what this is saying is, you're not your own. You are bought with a price. What does that mean? 
If I receive Jesus as my Savior, I'm not my own? It says, no, you, you were bought with a price, and what we normally would do is kind of give you an analogy. I always give this analogy to my kids. If I was, like, related to Bill Gates, and we know Bill Gates has a bit of money, right? And uh, he was a family member, and uh, for whatever the reason, he decided to donate money to me, who, who is you. We'll say, everybody, you know, he's your uncle. He, he decided to donate some money to you guys. He gave you... Ten million dollars. So, if Bill Gates gave you ten million dollars, how would you feel? This is good stuff, right? I, I don't have to worry about you know paying my bills for a little while. And uh, weird thing was, is Bill Gates called you up and said, "Hey, I'd like you to come over and mow my lawn." How many people would go? We'll just, we'll just say he's got like 10 acres. Come over and, and mow my 10 acres. Would you go? Yeah. He gave you 10 million. Would you go? Yeah. I don't think there's a person in this room who wouldn't go and mow Bill Gates' yard, especially after he gave you 10 million bucks, right? That's a rider. Okay, so here's a question for you guys. If you've already received Christ as your Savior, how much is your salvation worth? So let me give you an analogy to help you put some, uh, put some, some value on it. We have Will's Eye Institute in Philadelphia. Anybody here at Will's Eye Institute in Philadelphia? Okay, so let's say Will's Eye Institute in Philadelphia said, you know what they're going to do? They'll give you 10 million bucks. You have to donate your eyes. You can have the money. You just won't be able to see for the rest of your life. How many people are going to go and do that? They're going to donate their eyes for 10 million bucks. We got we got two people. That's unusual. Generally, the answer is this. Hey! Let's get back. Generally, the answer is this. Most people won't give up their eyes for any amount of money. Unless they maybe knew the person, they might give up one. Most people aren't going to give up their eyes. Why? Because what, what's, your, what's your life going to be like without seeing? You know, our seeing is precious to us. It's really worth... You know, more money than all that's in the world. I'm not going to give up my eyes, so I don't care how much money it is. And why? So if our eyes are worth so much money, how much is the soul that looks out those eyes? How much is the life that looks out those eyes? That life is precious. So I'm going back to this point. You said you would do something for Bill Gates if he gave you 10 million bucks. And I'm telling you that if you've received Christ as Savior, you have something that's worth infinite amount of dollars infinite what's your salvation worth it's worth more than all the money in the world jesus himself said what would a profit a man if he gave you know if he received the whole world but he gave up his life what could he exchange for his life so the point is is that many times we don't really reflect 
on what God has given us if we've received Christ as Savior. He's given us something so valuable, we should have a greater gratitude towards God than we would ever had towards Bill Gates giving us $10 million. If somebody asks you to come over and mow the church lawn, you should be, yeah, I'm ready. Why? It goes back to this verse again. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you, you have from God? You're not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. What does that mean? When Jesus was on that cross, he paid a price for your salvation. If you repent and place your trust in Christ, he promises you'll pay for all your sins, past, present, and future, right? What did, he, what did, what did Christ endure on the cross? We know that what he endured was actually an eternity in hell for you. What does eternity in hell suffering feel like? We can't understand that. We're not designed to understand the infinite. But that's what he paid for you. So that's where our level of gratitude comes from. And that's also, it helps us give an indication of the price that he paid. So you were bought. And because we were bought, we should have a sense of gratitude that uh, we want to reflect back to him. How am I doing time-wise? Okay. Guys, turn the page. Let's just go to this next one because it's going to tie you right into what we're dealing with next, okay? So I'm dealing with two aspects of what we're talking about tonight. One, we were talking about community in the church. The other side is I'm talking about you guys. So what is the church made up of? Every single person who's placed their trust in Christ, Right? So the other name that the, the Bible gives for the church is the, bo- is the body of Christ, or the bride, I guess I should say, you know, the bride. If you guys have been in my class in small groups, we've talked about this before. So what's the bride of Christ? Anybody who ever placed their trust in Jesus and received Him as Savior throughout all history is part of the bride of Christ. So on the last day, which is the judgment day, or, you know, prior, when you have the rapture, what happens is, Every single person who's ever believed in, in Christ will be reunited with him. That's the bride of Christ. That's the true church. The church is made up of all those who've received Christ as Savior. That's the real entity of church. We have a physical building here. We have people that come together. But the true church is made up of all those who've placed their trust in him throughout all history. So that's the entity. Let's just go back to Mark 4 here. Do you want to read this with me, guys? And what we're going to work away to is a couple concepts, and then we're going to be done. So, Mark 4 says, Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into the boat and sat uh, in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, And he was teaching them many things in parables and his teaching. He said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along rocky ground where he did not much have uh, much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears, let them hear. 
continue on number verse number 10. And he, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. For those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand. Least they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Look at that verse right there. He says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? It's a key phrase right here. If you can't understand this parable, you're not going to be able to understand the other parables in the Bible. This is a key verse. So let's read here. 14, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the crowd is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones who are sown on rocky ground, the ones who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And other ones are the ones among the thorns. Those are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke out the word and proves unfruitful. And those who are, who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So why did we just read that? The reason why we read that is we're talking about the church. We're talking about the church for the broken. We're talking about the ability for the church to minister to other people who are hurting. The ability for the church to help people to find Christ and also discipleship and, and all the things that we spoke about. And it really comes down to an important point here. I'll, I'll just tell you guys something that uh, is an interesting thing. I taught Sunday school, youth Sunday school, for nine years. I took a little break for a little while, and then uh, I had my kids, so I thought I'd really focus on them for a while. And I'm glad to be back with you guys and uh, you know speaking with you about these kinds of things. But the interesting thing was, I had taught... People just like you for nine years. And the interesting thing about it, I saw this parable unfold itself in those who were in my Sunday school class. I saw those where Satan took the word and they no longer Christians. I've seen those who were seeds among thorns and the concerns and the cares of the world choked out the word and they're not fruitful Christians. I've seen those who had rocky soil hearers. When they heard the word, they were excited about it for a while. And because they had no root, when trials, tribulations, friendships, and all these things came, they fell away. And it was just a, 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 an interesting thing to, 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 to behold over time. One of the individuals I had in my class became a pastor. A number of them became missionaries. They're fulfilling what Jesus is speaking about. Jesus said here, some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. What does that mean? Well, we have these hurting people all around us in this community. We're supposed to be a church for the broken. And our objective is to be kingdom builders. 
Meaning that we don't just continue to learn about Jesus and we don't just continue to learn about all these biblical principles for nothing. We're supposed to bring yield. What's the yield? We're supposed to lead others to Christ. There's supposed to be other people who find salvation because I'm in that corner of the planet. That's the objective of the church. And I pray that that's something that's going to unfold in your life. I'm going to tell you a little secret about myself. But first, before I tell you the secret, I'm going to give you this this concept that Dabo Sweeney gave gives to Clemson football players. So Dabo Sweeney is a great football coach. He's a great Christian. He talks about his faith all the time. But what he does before every service, or every season, I guess to say, not service, every season, he brings up a hard football, and he places it on the ground, real hard, pumped up football. And he brings up one of his receivers and asks him to stand on the football. And these receivers come up, and they're sitting there, they're trying to stand on this football, and they can barely keep their balance, and they're almost falling over. And this is the analogy. Dabo Sweeney says, that's what your life is going to be like if the football is the foundation of your life. You're always going to be off balance. You're always going to feel like, uh, what's going on? I'm just, I'm just off balance in my life. So if football is the foundation of your life, you're going to always be unbalanced. If sports is the foundation of your life, you're always going to be balanced. If your job is the foundation of your life, you're always going to be unbalanced. The only way we can be balanced in our lives is to be standing on Christ. He's the rock. So any foundation other than Christ is going to lead to just being off. You're going to be off. You're not going to be happy. You're not, it's not, you're not going to have joy that's going to last. You're not going to have something that's going to be fulfilling to you. The only thing that God ultimately designed each one of us for, if it's in your Christ, in Christ, He designed you for ministry purposes. And you're going to get your joy by ministering to other people and sharing the gospel. That's where your joy is going to come from. So let me tell you that secret about myself. I played football, and the foundation of my life for nine years was football. I was standing on football, and I was always off balance, and good things happened, bad things happened. I started when I sometimes, oh, you know, other time I didn't start that particular season, I was upset about it. When football was over after nine years, I felt like I had a loss. What am I going to do now? I've trained for football for nine years straight. Well, then I thought, you know what? I'm just going to get into weight training and bodybuilding, you know, because... It's something I can focus my energies on, my time on, and, you know, that type of thing. So the next foundation of my life became bodybuilding. Here's the secret. When I was 22, I won the Mr. Lehigh Valley Bodybuilding Contest. When I was 27, I won the Mr. Pennsylvania, Mr. East Coast, and Mr. International Bodybuilding Contest. Two years later, I competed in the uh, Mr. USA and placed second in the United States in the bodybuilding. And that's not, I don't, I'm not asking for your applause or anything about it. I'm trying to make a point. My foundation in my life was bodybuilding or training or competing. And it doesn't hold anywhere near the amount of joy that can come by sharing the gospel and ministering to other people. Where you're going to ultimately find your joy you're going to find your joy in Christ. And you're going to find your joy in serving other people. You're going to find your joy in serving those who are broken. Whether they just don't know Christ. Whether they're hurting emotionally or physically. 
That's where you're going to find your joy in life. That's where God designed you to, to minister and to focus. So, my hope and prayer after reading this is that every single person in this room will be good soil hearers. What that means is that you're going to yield for God. Because ultimately, you're going to get older. And then you're going to watch your friends start to die. And then you're going to watch your aunts and uncles die. And you're just going to watch people dying. And you're going to start to have to contend with your parents passing away. And then eventually, we're passing away. And I want to bring up this next verse that's on here. Just go to this uh, on the third page. It's the one right before the notes section. Let me read it to you. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only through fire. What does that mean? What that means is simply this. I spent nine years playing football. That'll all be burned by fire. Do you think anybody's going to remember in eternity, whether I played football for nine years and how many tackles I had? How about this? I spent a number of years competing in bodybuilding. When I get to eternity, is anybody going to care about any of the titles that I won or anything of that nature? Or what the size of my biceps are? That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What's going to matter is ultimately, what did you do with your life to build the kingdom of God? That's what's going to matter. And some of the guys in my group, I'm just going to give you this analogy. We can't understand eternity. Our minds aren't designed to understand the infinite. We just don't understand those kinds of things. Because God just didn't give us the ability to understand it. But you're going to live forever. Forever. It's either going to be in heaven or it's going to be in hell. You know... And I know... There's people here tonight who have not yet received Christ as their Savior... It's important to repent and place your trust in Jesus. He loves you. We love you. And we want you to, we want you to, we don't want you to have an eternity outside of where you belong to be. But going back to the analogy, I always give the rope analogy to people when I'm sharing the gospel with them. We can't understand eternity. But here's the concept of eternity. We're going to take a a rope from the Jersey seashore. We'll throw it out to the California seashore. That rope now represents eternity. We can conceptualize that in our mind. They have like telephone cables and things of that nature that go that distance. It's possible, right? Your lifespan on this earth is the first three inches. The balance of the rope is eternity. So here's your choice. I have a great three inches. I'm partying. I'm doing what I want. I'm living selfishly. You know, I'm not obeying what God wants me to do. But I had a great three inches as far as partying. But I'm going to throw away the balance of the rope. Good trade? Absolutely not. Not a good trade. Think about it. You're not here forever. When you're this age, you think, hey, I'm going to be here forever. But going back to the verses, we want to do things that will last for eternity. If I share the gospel with somebody and somebody comes to Christ, will that ever be forgotten in eternity? Never. 
Jesus says, even if you bring a glass of water to somebody who needs water, it's a good thing. And he will have rewards for those who are willing to serve him. So going back to the big concept, community. This is a community that flourishes when people volunteer to get involved and to minister to other people. And you know who else flourishes when they volunteer? You do. You know who's going to get more out of this message than anybody in this room tonight? You know who? Me. God always gives ten times back. I get ten times what you guys are going to get from this message. I got the chance to study for days to get prepared for it and read scripture. I'll get ten times back. That's the way God's economy works. When you get involved in the community, looking to service other people in this community, you're going to get rewarded with what he calls joy. Joy is not circumstantial. It's just a reward for serving. So my final thing I just want to say tonight, just to kind of start to wrap things up, is simply this. The church has the ability, or for many, or seemingly, is more like, there's two types of ships. There's a rescue vessel, and there's a pleasure cruise. How many people have ever been on a cruise before? You ever been on a cruise before? In the, in the ship, you know, you go there and you like eat, and then you, you do some stuff, and then you eat, and you do some stuff, and then you eat, and... You know, and you'll stop over some island or something like that and you, you keep on going. So that's, that's a pleasure cruise, right? And then you'll see these ships that the Coast Guard has. They're rescue vessels. What are they designed to do? Well, when, when they have a ship that capsizes or a, a ship that's out, you know, in a storm, they go out and get them. Or, you know, wh- whatever. They're out there designed to find people who are in duress and rescue them. So many churches take on the aura of a pleasure cruise. What do I mean by that? Well, the people who come are coming for... Well, how was worship this week? Oh, it wasn't as good as it was last week. Or how was the message this week? Oh, it was kind of flat this week. It's all about what I'm taking. It's almost like a pleasure cruise. I got the cruise mentality. Did they have good coffee this week? Or, oh, was that meal good? Or it's all looked at from a, a pleasure cruise vantage point. That's not the design of the church. The design of the church is a rescue vessel. For who? For these communities around us. That's for who? I would challenge you sometime to come out and share the gospel with us. It's generally 9 out of 10 have never heard the gospel in all these communities around us. 9 out of 10 have never heard the gospel. They have no idea the reason why Jesus Christ came. They need Every single person in this room, Jesus said, the laborers are few. The harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Come. Serve. Serve the broken. Be part of the community in a real way. Not in a pleasure cruise way, but in a rescue vessel mindset mentality. So, to wrap up things, just tying it back again. Community. We have this community. It's designed for the broken, but it's not for Mike to, to serve the, the, all the broken. It's not for Mari to serve all the broken. It's not for Pastor Ryan to serve all the broken. The objective of the church is that every single person 
who's received Christ and is a part of the church, you are the ones that are called to minister to other people. Wherever you are, because you're in spots of the world where I'll never be able to have any influence. You have friends that you're the only Christian light in that area. So, my call to you is to be the church from the vantage point of being an active soldier for Christ and having that kind of mindset. And it all stems from what we originally talked about was just a sense of appreciation for what he's done for us. He paid an eternity in hell for me. And I'm just so grateful and so thankful that I'm willing to serve in any way that I possibly can because I, it's just, just gratitude overflowing. And the other side is just compassion for other people. So thanks very much for your time and uh, let's pray and we'll let these guys uh, dismiss us to small groups. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to uh, speak about uh, your word, to speak about your church, to speak about your mission for us, and uh, to speak about how we could be good soil people and have a, a, a yield 30, 60, 100 fold. And we just pray that uh, you'll seep this message into our hearts and that we'll become active, faithful, rescue vessel Christians. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi, Pastor Mike here. Thank you for listening to the Morningstar Student Ministry Podcast. Whatever your age, my hope and prayer is that you grow a desire to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through these messages. For more information about the Morningstar Fellowship Student Ministry, or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, please visit www.mstarqtown.org and search MSTAR Students. God bless and have a great week.